let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning again, everyone. We're looking today at our gospel reading from the 25th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, and I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices and follow along if you would like. <clears throat> as I said, as we began this morning, today is Christ the King Sunday, or the Feast of Christ the King. It is the final Sunday on the church calendar, a day which points to the reality that Jesus is the eternal King of glory. That is sometimes not a popular notion in the culture we live in that overemphasizes personal autonomy and being our own person, our own man, or our own woman. But however unpopular it may be, the fact is that Jesus Christ is King. And for his people, the fact that Christ is King means that he is our peace, and he is our hope, and he is our sure foundation, even in the most uncertain of times. <clears throat> if we were celebrating Holy Eucharist today, we had several other scripture readings, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, in each of the scripture readings that were appointed for today, there's a focus on some aspect of Christ's kingship and the ultimate consummation of his kingdom rule and authority for all time and eternity. In the Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 34, we read, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water, that you must red it muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddy with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. In our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians 15, we read, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all things under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Today's gospel reading continues with a similar focus. The gospel reading for today is a very familiar passage to many of us. And this gospel reading also brings to mind parables in Matthew's gospel about separation and about judgment, especially as they are found in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the weeds and the parable of the net. <clears throat> These verses also are in continuity with our, reading, our readings rather from Matthew 25 from the previous two Sundays. But our reading today is not a parable. Rather, it is a word picture of the last judgment. The importance of Jesus' words here cannot be overemphasized. Their importance is highlighted by the fact that they're climatically placed in Matthew's gospel at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. If we look to the very next verse, Matthew chapter 26, verse 1, we see things moving in Scripture to the plot to kill Jesus. I think it is important to note here that there are several schools of thought regarding how to interpret our gospel reading. And I want to briefly mention two of them. <clears throat> First, there's a school of thought that identifies the least of these from verse 45, specifically as followers of Jesus, especially those who are poor and needy because of their loyalty to him. There's a second school of interpretation, among others, but a second primary school of interpretation that identifies the least of these as the poor and needy in general. The second interpretation is the one 
more widely held and the traditional interpretation of the church and the one which I most fully agree with. However, regardless of which interpretation we identify with, Jesus here has in mind people who are needy and who are vulnerable, those who are hungry and thirsty, the age straight, excuse me, the stranger and alien, those who lack sufficient clothing, the sick, the prisoner. The priority of God's people providing for those in need is not somehow unique to this passage of Scripture or just to the New Testament. This is a focus as something which God's faithful and obedient people do, which is found throughout the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in the books of the law and throughout the prophets, God's Old Testament people are commanded to care for the needy, to clothe the naked, to extend care and hospitality to the stranger, the immigrant, the alien, and the sojourner in the land. And when they failed to do this, they came under God's judgment. What this all really boils down to is the relationship between faith and fruitfulness. In our reading from Matthew 25, there are two separate or twin conversations depicted. The first conversation is between the Son of Man and those to his right hand, the sheep, if you will. The second conversation was, is with those on the left, the goats. In the ancient Near East, it was common to graze sheep and goats together in a mixed herd during the daytime, but they would be typically separated in night, at night, in part because the goats needed to be kept warm where the sheep had sufficient wool to keep them warm through even the coldest of nights. Shepherds had no difficulty distinguishing the sheep from the goats. And the point here in this scripture passage is that Jesus, the Son of Man, the great shepherd of the sheep, has no difficulty at all distinguishing those who are truly his from those who are not. The conversation with each of these groups, these two groups, ends quite differently. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, verse 34. But then in verse 41, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. All of this boils down to a living faith demonstrated by righteous actions. The fact is, brothers and sisters, that not to do good is to do evil. Let me repeat that. To not do good is to do evil. So often we have this unbalanced focus on not doing that which is sinful, overtly simple actions. And this should be of concern, but far too often we neglect the truth that inaction is just as sinful and just as much an affront to a holy and righteous God as sinful action. That's why every Sunday in the Eucharist we pray as part of our confession, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. It's about a living faith that bears godly fruit. And there are many excuses that people make or give for inaction. And while there are many, I would like to focus on but three that are very common this morning. <clears throat> and the first one is this. We are saved by grace and not by, wood, by good works. And this is absolutely true when we look at the record of Scripture. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, St. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we should never stop with verse 9, because if we continue just to the very next verse, Ephesians 2.10 continues by saying, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we are being formed in Christ's image, we will be engaging in godly works. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 reminds us, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you said to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In St. Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells us this in chapter 6. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The righteousness that Christ gives us, the righteousness which we are called to, is a lived and active righteousness. Yes, we are declared righteous through Christ before the bar of God in a legal sense, but that is not the end. That is just the beginning. For when Christ imputes his righteousness to us, he makes it a real, actual, true, and living righteousness. And we, as the people of God, then engage in righteous acts. Yes, righteous acts of being set apart to God, but then being set apart to God, sanctified, if you will, to God, means then in the righteousness of God, in his righteous power, going forth and engaging the world around us through righteous acts. Righteous acts like we see here in the sheep in Matthew 25. The second excuse people give is that it's not my spiritual gift. And this, brothers and sisters, is a total cop-out. And quite frankly, it does not hold water scripturally. And it is a front, it is an affront in the eyes of God. Yes, there are those people who are especially gifted in these areas, those who have gifts such as serving, generosity, and mercy. But that does not mean that those with prophetic gifts or gifts of evangelism or healing or teaching, and on and on, somehow are not called or obligated to engage in these kinds of righteous actions. In Matthew, does Jesus say, for I was hungry and you had the gift of serving? For I was a stranger and alien in your land and you had the gift of hospitality. No, that is not what he says. God calls every single one of us, regardless of our giftedness, to engage in these godly, righteous ways of being and doing. These are simply things that God's people do because of the transformation Christ is bringing to pass in our lives. It is about living out the life of his kingdom here and now where God has placed us. The issue here is not spiritual giftedness, but rather spirit-filled obedience, living out the transformation of God in our lives 
if this transformation is indeed a reality. The third and final excuse we so often hear is, the need is too great. Yes, it is. And God is not calling us to do everything, but he is calling us to do something. But it's not even what I can do, or what you can do, or what we can do. It's about what you and I are called and empowered to do by God. There are people in this church, in All Saints Church, <coughs> who serve so many people in the ways listed here in Matthew 25. People who even during COVID have continued prison ministry. And women in our church who hold retreats every year for women who are incarcerated. And, are, and we have people who reach out to the sick and the poor and the needy and reach out to the stranger and the alien among us. We partner with other ministries, both here in our community, like ACTS, and we partner with ministries around the world. These are all things we should be thankful for. But the question I have for all of us today is what else is God calling us to in this season for such a time as this, especially during COVID-19, when the needs are unique and far greater than anything we could have anticipated 12 months ago? And there's one thing that the staff, we've talked about a lot, and the staff has heard me talk about time and time again. I want to challenge all of us with this day, and that is expanding our food pantry. I have no doubt from what we hear of reports in our community and in the greater Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. metro area, that the need is great. And I want to call and challenge every one of you who is a part of our church to find a way that you can serve to partner with us in this ministry. I have a vision and a picture of cars lined up out onto Gideon Drive waiting for food and resources that we can offer them in the name of Christ as a godly act of righteousness. So whether that would be helping to organize the food pantry, helping to pack bags of groceries in advance, or showing up at scheduled times that we will be setting to distribute food with, with appropriate social distancing from the atrium of the church, there is something for everyone of every age. Perhaps if you don't want to be close to people because of social distancing, you would be willing to pick up grocery donations from members of the church who leave them outside their door. There's something that all of us can do for this, and I believe that God is calling us to this in this hour. He has raised us up in this community for such a time as this. So I would ask all of you to pray about what the Lord would have you to do and contact the church office so that we can coordinate and really get this ministry expanded to a much greater level to reach those in our community with the love and the life of Jesus. In the midst of injustices and disorder and the disorder of this world, we, by God's power, are to demonstrate the justice and order of another world, the kingdom of the one who is our king, the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ. We're not talking about things here that are necessarily somehow spectacular. Instead, we are talking about simple, righteous, godly actions, which bring the reality of Christ's eternal kingdom to bear in this world and in our community. And it all boils down to the words of King Jesus himself. Either you did it to one of the least of these and to him as our king, or we did not. Let us pray. Father in heaven, burn in our hearts a passion to be filled with the life of your kingdom, a passion to engage in godly acts of righteousness because you are sanctifying us as your people and making us righteous. 
You are setting us apart to yourself, but not to be silos, Father. You are setting us apart so that we can then go and engage our world in the power of Christ and the name of Jesus. Lord, would you give us grace? Would you speak to each of us? And may we rise to this hour as the people of God in your power. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.